What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. And all of a sudden, we will be going, I make sense to myself, which of course is our wonderful thing that happens in the human brain. It's like a moment of insight. And what we know about moments of insight is that the gamma waves go through the whole brain and reorganize the way that the neurons are connecting to each other. In a universal way, it can change so much. Cue music. Places, everybody places. We're starting in three, two. Welcome to the Autoimmune Hour, where we look at the rise of autoimmune disorders. I've brought together top experts that range from doctors, specialists, nutritionists, researchers, and even those recovering from autoimmune to bring you the latest, most up-to-date information about autoimmunity and how to live your life uninterrupted. Thank you for joining us here on the Autoimmune Hour with Sharon Saylor. Always seek sound legal, medical, and or professional advice regarding any problems, conditions, and any of the recommendations you see, hear, or read here on the Autoimmune Hour, Understanding Autoimmune, and Life Interrupted Radio. And we don't want you to worry about taking too many notes, so you can join the Autoimmune Hours Courage Club, and we'll send you the transcripts and show notes from every episode. Sign up now at understandingautoimmune.com. Now, back to your host, Sharon Saylor. Welcome, everyone, to the Autoimmune Hour. I'm Sharon Saylor from SharonSaylor.com, and... Oh boy, do we have an episode for you. One of our most, well, I won't even say one of our most requested guests is back with us tonight. I am so thrilled. Every time she comes on, I get aha moments. And if you watch the video, you actually see metaphorical light bulbs going off in my head all the time. An amazing woman and a dear, dear friend, Sarah Payton is here with us again. She's a certified trainer of nonviolent communication, a constellation facilitator, and a neuroscience educator. And I like to say, uh, you know, she brings the neuroscience part of all of this down to like our level that we can understand it she takes sort of the science and distills it into things that we can really use <laughs> and we don't have to be a scientist to understand it because she integrates brain science and the use of resonant language and to heal trauma and nourish self-warmth and and you just have to listen to her voice pattern it is just exquisite and it you'll see what the power of resonant language is just by listen carefully to how Sarah talks as well. So not only the wisdom that comes out of her mouth, but how it comes out of her mouth. Okay. I'll get more into it because she has a brand new book coming out in May that I'm so excited about. It's called your resonant self workbook. And, uh, We'll try and have her back before then to talk about the workbook. But anyway, I want to jump right in. Welcome, Sarah. Thanks for being on the show. (laughs) And what a pleasure to be back with you. I'm so happy to be here. Oh, my gosh. I am so thrilled when I was able to snag you out of your busy, busy schedule. Congratulations. I know your second book is coming out and you're working on your third, uh, probably your fourth or fifth, too. I know. (laughs) (laughs) So congratulations on all of those successes. And let's just catch up a little bit. So what are the new ahas that you're having? 
Well, my latest new aha is almost cellular. I've been thinking a lot about what we know about self-warmth and about that original self-warmth meditation that we do where you just start to breathe and you go, okay, what's my attention doing? And then you just love your attention instead of beating it up as a way that I was told to do kind of by my original meditation training. It's this radically different way of being like, oh, attention, are you worried about my back hurting? Of course you are. Are you willing to come back to my breath a little bit? You know, just like this warm, affectionate relationship with our attention as if it's a little puppy that goes in different directions, you know, trying to take care of us or worrying about other people or worrying about us in the world. And so having that warmth for self has been revolutionary for me. But just recently, I was working with Herbert Benson's work, his relaxation response, which is such beautiful research out of Harvard. Um, And uh, what he shows is that with some time each day of us really letting our bodies be nourished by the energies of love or faith or trust, what happens is that we we have enormous changes in our health indicators. So we have enormous changes in how our heart rate responds. We have enormous changes in our blood pressure. We have enormous changes in our sleep patterns as a result of a daily practice of tuning into the needs energies. And I, and I started to think, okay, how do I bring what he's talking about together with the meditation about this, you know, about being warm with our attention? And then I also brought in the way that I talk to the cells. You and I have done this before where we're having a dialogue with our cells. How are our cells doing? What do they need acknowledged? And, um, and I went, I, I, for the first time, I kind of entered my own body and said to my cells, let go, let go of everything. You can be a soup. <laughs> you can be a warm soup of love and you just get to be all warm and cozy and soupy in there. <laughs> and I had this sense of like, okay, here, here it is. I can feel this integration that like a new level of, of invitation to let, let, letting go along with having self-warmth and self-affection. So that's been my little discovery lately. How is it to hear? Wow, a little. I'm blown away. I'm like, wow, just a little discovery. See, everyone, you got to listen to Sarah's other shows because this is awesome. So, oh my gosh, I've got a couple of things. I love the metaphor of the puppy Mm -hmm. because I was taught with a wagging finger to calm the monkey chatter. Somehow that never quite did it for me. But I love this of the little puppy whose just attention wanders away for a moment and you bring it back to cuddle and it's all good and soft and wonderful again. I love that metaphor. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So that's uh, the other thing that came to me as you were doing this was how quickly you could implement this. Mm-hmm. 
this idea of the attention and just checking in with yourself, not, you know, so many people, oh, I can't meditate, Sharon, I don't have 20 minutes, 30 minutes, whatever, I can't do it three times a day, because my kids or I'm homeschooling. Oh, wow, I think you could do this in a really, a fairly quick, yeah, it can every, every so often, yeah. you could just check in throughout the day, like yeah, that. one to three breaths. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Very low. Who doesn't have time to do one to three breaths <laughs> instead of like huffing and puffing at everything going wrong? Do one to three attention breaths and you got it done, right? Already starting to change. You know, we always, you and I always talk about how wonderful it is to begin to nourish the permaculture garden of right hemisphere neurons that start to hold us and make us more resilient. Ooh, I found a really good piece of information about resilience. We'll come to that in a moment. And so it takes time, you know? I mean, once we start this journey, I really notice people shifting deeply at about eight months and about three years and about five years and about 10 years. We're, we're, we're growing little neurons, neuron by neuron, and, and they don't grow as fast when we're grownups as they did when we were babies, but they're still responding to what we nourish them with and what we give them. So, mm. it's okay. You know, I... I love that because right now, and I, I maybe it's just me. I don't. I hope not because I don't want to be alone in this. But you know, I love this because I'm feeling a lot of bombardment, even just out on a daily walk, and someone's walking towards you on the same side of the street, and all of a sudden they cross the street and don't make eye contact with you, and you're like, whoa. Yeah. <laughs> it, you know why? I mean, I know why I have all of the rational thought about it. But my goodness, it really kind of is an interesting moment where that if I stop and I take some of those attention breaths and work through that moment of like, wow, <laughs> I could see how fast this could really recenter your enjoyment of everything. Yes. And, and just to give our little bodies and again ourselves of some validation for these moments there's research that they've done on college campuses where if you're walking and somebody does it passes you and doesn't acknowledge your existence your cortisol spikes and your 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 other signs fall your endogenous opioids fall you take a little shame hit everybody does which is so interesting because I mean, of course, I know eye contact doesn't give you COVID, <laughs> but, but I don't know if you've been walking through a store where all of a sudden you're like, okay, there are two of us in this aisle going opposite directions. What is the protocol? Yeah. And the protocol seems to be to turn your back to each other. So you're facing the <laughs> shelf and sort of, you know, dance hindsight to hindsight behind each other, you know? <laughs> And I've noticed it does affect me, even though I rationally know why it happened. Yeah, we are yeah. so exquisitely social. We are, and that's so important for us to know right now with, in the United States, so much isolation happening in relationship with COVID. We have, we, you and I talked about this before, but I love saying it. We have little sensors in our skin that are looking or a human body warmth. They don't. Mm. The, <laughs> I know. I just love those little <laughs> cells. <laughs> I mean, I think they're kind of happy with cat and dog warmth too, or horse warmth, but they're really, you know, they're really looking for body warmth. And they they don't light up in response to things being too hot or getting sunburn or pain. No, 
they don't respond to any of those things. What they light up in response to is just the right temperature of other living beings coming close enough to let us know that we are in community. Yes. And how many of us, I'm going to raise my hand here, as a grandparent, that's been one of the most difficult things. And it's some. I want to talk a little bit because it's it's traumatic. Uh, I've, you know, just knowing that you just miss all of that, all the things that you used to do. And and what a joy a good grandchild's body in our arms is. What a joy it is to be hugged with enthusiasm. I mean, grown-ups will (laughs) hug us, right? But not with that enthusiasm that we get from little people who are delighted that we exist. I mean, it's just like a download of love. Oh, absolutely. And, and the things you know, curling up in a chair and reading my favorite book with her and, you know, things like that. It's just anyway, well, I don't have to dwell on that. But oh, my gosh, I love this, these moments that we can refocus all of these things that we're feeling. What are some of the things that you have found that other that people are doing? I love that. And I wanted to know what else, because I just love mining all of your explorations <laughs> in here. And the way you put such divergent to me I'm like wow you've researched you've read so and so's research and so and you put them together I remember alarmed aloneness yeah. let's talk about that yeah. a little bit I mean listen to the interview go back on understandingautoimmune.com and just type in alarmed aloneness to get the whole interview but let's talk about that because I still think that's so pertinent for it's today so pertinent for us so in the western world in the global north and the western world one of the things that we rarely talk about is just how social we are. We don't talk about those little sensors in our skin looking for body warmth. We don't talk about the tract of neural land in our brain that's located very close to our hunger tract that actually is hungry for people. It's very close. It's very similar. And it lights up the same way when we're hungry for food. When we're hungry for people, it lights up. Nobody walks around saying to us when we're little kids, of course you're hungry for people. (laughs) (laughs) No, I can't say that. I even heard that as an adult till just now. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And so we kind of go through our lives kind of thinking, okay, I must be hungry for food, you know, because it's very close neurally in the brain. It's a very close area. We can get it confused really easily because food does some of the same things for us that company does. It increases our endogenous opioids and increases our oxytocin. And fat, sugar, and salt are magical food items that give our brain kind of a little bit of a fooling that we're addressing our, our, our social hunger. Oh, that explains the pandemic 15 that's now the 18 that's soon to be the 2025. Yes, yes, we make sense. We are very, very much sense-making beings. And we so rarely talk about how there's a state of, so we talk about fight or flight. We talked about this in the last interview, but we talk about fight or flight. And so it sounds like every time we get upset, it's about being afraid or being angry. Fight, anger, flight, fear. We don't put alarmed aloneness in there, but we have an alarm state of missing people. So now when I'm talking about the nervous system, I'll most often say fight, flight, and alarmed aloneness to begin to remind us all that we have a state of alarm, a state of upset, 
It's not about being afraid. And it's not about being angry. It's about our beloved person or people not being with us. So being a grandma or a grandpa or an auntie or an uncle or a cousin and having little people that we love that we wish we got to be close to, we actually experience an alarm state with them being gone. So it's a very important for us to begin to name this because as you and I have talked about many times, the body carries messages for us. And when we decode those messages, the body relaxes. So if we've been in a state of alarmed aloneness for three, four, five decades, and we've never had it named, that alarmed aloneness stays in our body. It doesn't shift. Our body doesn't shift until we get resonant connection around the experiences of emotion that are arising for us. So it's kind of like we're living in a world without the naming of alarmed aloneness, where so many bodies are carrying that message of having lost somebody we love, things like parents dying, things like separations for medical procedures when we're little, things like parents being sent off to do military duty, forced work furloughs where or experiences of having to travel for work that take people away from their children. All of these things, if they're not named, live in our child bodies and then go on to live in our adult bodies. So they can be a huge part, it can be a huge part of our health commitment to begin to name the things that haven't been named for us. Mm. I love that because in my healing journey, and as I continue to optimize, of course, the first few months of the healing journey, before I realized a lot of this, I had some awareness of it, but it was all about the physical. Mm. You know, let, let's take care of this and that and all about the physical. But as I've been on this journey, the more I dive deeper into optimizing and my wellness and well-being, the opposite of that, you know, you're diving into getting well or not getting sicker or so just switching the out the look the the place that you're looking and the other part is that i have found you're so true that exploring this part of us not just the physical but the emotional social spiritual and the mental part of wellness and well-being are to me in a lot of respects more critical than the physical part. As I've explored it, I think that I've dealt with things over the years. And all of a sudden, oh my goodness, that a new layer will unfold. And as I work through unfolding that, I feel parts of the physical body changing and morphing and optimizing just by working on the emotional, social, uh, spiritual, and mental part of well-being. And I'm always wondering why that's so overlooked in our culture. It's like, oh, don't talk about that part. Just talk about, you know, that you stubbed your toe or, you know, you've got a Band-Aid on your arm. I'm confused by that. Yeah, yeah. And I think in a way, it's the same phenomenon. You know, if we're only ever afraid or angry, then there's kind of a reductiveness about the vast complexity of the human condition. There's so much more to us. But the world that we live in kind of reduces us to just one or two things. And one of those things is just the physical body, just like, do you get enough sleep or how's your diet, you know? 
uh, are taking yeah. medications, you know, here's your medications that we figured out might help for your condition from the Western point of view. There's so, there's so much, we are infinite beings. Our, our brains have 86 billion neurons. We, we, we can't truly know ourselves this experience of dropping into deeper and deeper layers of healing and well-being and the body learning to relax. I mean, my experience of this funny idea of, okay, little cells, you can turn to soup. <laughs> a warm soup of love. <laughs> and I love that. And I love that you're talking to yourself. I think that we don't do that enough in a kind and sweet and gentle, loving way. Too often, my first response is not that. <laughs> and so I'm curious on two fronts of this. I want to know more about talking to ourselves. But as we're discussing that, I'm also have uh, you know people in my world that I want to support as well, because I can see perhaps they're struggling and haven't had the opportunity to talk to Sarah <laughs> about all of these struggles and things like that. How can we help others when they're uh, struggling as well? So I want to know more about how we can continue to support ourselves. But have you found ways that we can support others without frightening them? Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I think if I said, oh, you can, my friend Sarah says you can turn your cells to soup. <laughs> what? You know, I need to not paraphrase you and directly quote you because when you paraphrase, it doesn't quite work. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So that, that's where I want to go uh, with this conversation after we have to take a quick commercial break. And when we come right back, we're going to talk to Sarah about going deeper into talking to ourselves and then supporting each other by using this type of language. Because <laughs> I, I think if I called them soup, they would like, what? She's gone nuts. So we'll be right back. Life Interrupted Radio will return after these messages from our sponsors. It's great sponsors like these that keep this show coming to you every week. Be sure and stop by lifeinterruptedradio.com to learn more. Hi, this is Sharon. And of course you know me from here on the Autoimmune Hour. Maybe you don't know I'm also an author. My latest book is for kids. It's Pinky Chenille and the Rainbow Hunters, a winner of a five-star reader's favorite review. It's perfect for your early reader and a great bedtime story for your young adventurers. Check it out over at PinkyChenille.com. That's P-I-N-K-Y-C-H-E-N-I-L-L-E.com. See you there. Research shows we apologize up to 10 times a day. And most of the time, we say sorry as a response to someone else's mistake. What if? We thanked people instead of all that unnecessary apologizing. So instead of saying, sorry, I'm rambling, you say, thank you for listening. Join us at projectforgive.com, a free non-religious resource on global forgiveness. Do you want to be a better leader, have better relationships, become more self-aware, be a better communicator? Hi, I'm Sharon Saylor, best-selling author, professional speaker, and executive coach. And my life passion is empowering professionals to be the best that they can be. After years of working with professionals, I've discovered the seven things nobody is telling you that can cost you your clients, sales, and even your career. 
and I want to give it to you free. You've heard my show, you know my passion, and maybe we'll be working together sooner rather than later. So go grab this ebook now to find out the seven things that's costing you big time over at SharonSailor.com forward slash radio gift. Welcome back, everyone, to the Autoimmune Hour. I'm Sharon Saylor from SharonSailor.com. And tonight we're here with the amazing Sarah Payton. You've been listening to all of her beautiful insights. And we were talking about talking to ourselves in a gentle and loving way. I love the metaphor of the puppy, Sarah. One of the things I want to share with everybody that your book is Your Resonant Self, Guided Meditations and Exercises to Engage Your Brain's Capacity for Healing. Wow, that's a title, but just remember Your Resonant Self by Sarah Payton, and you will get some amazing insights. It's got all sorts of scripts and guides in there as well, and I'm so looking forward to your workbook that's coming out in May. However, I want to really get some lowdown before May here. (laughs) And we were talking about talking to ourselves in a deeper way, as well as sharing some of the wisdom that we're hearing tonight with our friends and family and how we can help them not feel so alone, even if perhaps we're not in the same room. Yeah, so in terms of talking to ourselves, it's lovely to remember the research that shows us that when we actually use our own name, when we're talking with ourselves, not in a reproving way, but in a warm way, like, oh, Sarah, of course. Oh, Sharon, of course, with you talking to yourself. It creates this wonderful differentiation inside the brain where the part of us that needs the soothing and needs the warmth gets to kind of feel itself held by the part of our brain that's able to hold us and able to have warmth for us. So there's... Oh, a quick question. If someone's always been known as a nickname, is that the name that I would use through talking to myself? Or is it... Or was it, was it only research into like the given? Well, name? I think what you do, the research was into like, I think probably the scientists didn't even differentiate. They probably just said, use your own name and speak to yourself and tracked it rather than being really specific. You know, this, my sense of this is, first of all, we need to pay attention to how our body responds. So if your name has always been associated with contempt and reproof, then it may not feel very warm to use your own name as you're speaking to yourself, in which case there may be a nickname that's more connected with warmth, and then you'd want to use that nickname. Or I have a friend who doesn't really get a warm response from himself when he uses his own name, and so he started to say to himself, sweetheart, which I just love so much because it's a grown man saying sweetheart to himself and it just melts my heart every time that he that he models that another thing we can begin to pay attention to is what does it feel like to touch yourself what if you're touching yourself with that oh sweetheart energy or oh sarah energy oh how is it to feel our own hand bringing warmth and affection and acknowledgement and comfort. (laughs) How is that? Well, I've taken to hugging myself. (laughs) 
so similar to the touching of the face or the stroking of the face or stroking of the forehead that you might do to a little person, just sort of giving a little swing of the hips and wrapping my arms around myself. And sometimes I've even patted myself on the back. <laughs> and it works. It's pretty amazing to me how the body responds so quickly. Yeah. yeah. So those, those are kind of some of the things we can do with ourselves. And one of the other things I love to do with myself, even if I don't understand why I'm feeling something, is to validate it. I like to say, of course, the whole experience of isolation and the pandemic. Oh, it's been, I've seen my chiropractor once a week since March and two other people have come to visit me. And other than that, I've been with my family. My family's lovely, but, but I've been lonely. And it's catapulted me into very deep places of toxic shame. And I keep saying to myself, of course, of course, Sarah. And of course, you and I have talked in the past about how close shame and loneliness are to each other. Mm -hmm. How much our shame has to do with a sense of being alone, being suddenly and horribly alone. So many of us may be struggling with a sense of shame that's connected to just this very experience of aloneness. It's the same neurochemicals that respond to both loneliness and shame. We have the drop in endogenous opioids, the drop in oxytocin, the rise in cortisol. It's the same thing. And some people say that shame is the emotion that humans have that has the hugest impact of cortisol, the hugest rush of cortisol comes with our shame experiences, wow. which speaks again to us about our incredible social nature, that when we are separated from our community, from our tribe, from our family, from our loved ones, that there's a drop in our well-being that's measurable and visible. Wow. I remember our conversation about shame and how powerful it was. And I had not correlated it to this time of isolation that we've all been experiencing going on, well, almost a year yeah. now of extreme isolation. And uh, it's interesting to just take a moment in my own head and explore what are those, where were those moments of shame that perhaps I'll just say were mislabeled mm -hmm. and really exactly. just a, a loneliness. Yes loneliness. And as much as Zoom and all these other types of communic FaceTimes and all these other types of communication are wonderful, I have to say, for me, they're not the they're same. They're not the same. They keep us from going crazy, thank God. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but they aren't, they, they aren't the same. Oh, oh my gosh. I want to just circle back for a minute, because if we have a friend or family member, can we use this kind of language with them? Does, is it soothing to others if we use this kind of language with them if they're going through a tough time? Yeah. One of the things that I really like to do, there are a couple of things I really like to do when I'm speaking with somebody else. One is to imagine myself standing beside them, like standing beside them, looking at their what they're up against, their challenges, their, like to absolutely step into advocacy like to absolutely step into allyship, like to stand beside, uh, I can use myself and my husband as a very sweet example of the difference between looking at somebody and standing beside them. So if my husband has a difficult time with somebody at work, 
then I can be looking at him and I can say, well, why didn't you do this? Or, you know, that guy always does that. Or why are you so sensitive? This has been happening for 20 years, right? Those are the kinds of things that occur to us if we're kind of across the table from or standing across from the person that we're talking to, as opposed to, if not physically, at least emotionally getting up and walking over to the same side of the table that my, my partner's on and going, dang, this looks really hard. Yeah, It's a very different kind of way to accompany and it allows something very different to happen. And it also mm-hmm. may allow our bodies to get involved, which takes us to the second thing we can do, which is we can share what happened in our bodies when our person is sharing something difficult. So um, let's say we have a friend who's been, who, got, who had a COVID scare, right? And stand beside them. Instead of standing across from them and saying, oh, you don't need to worry about that. You're doing fine. It doesn't look like you have COVID at all. It's been, it's been, you know, eight days without any symptoms. I think we're safe. You know, no. Instead, standing beside them and going, oh, you know, when I stand beside you and think about this, my heart stops beating. Does your heart stop beating? So letting our bodies join the conversation and showing some vulnerability you know, stepping into the vulnerability of disclosing that we are affected by what's happening for the people we're with. So it takes us to very interesting and new places that we may not have gone before in our conversations with the people that we love. I love that you brought that up. So often when I was raising my kids, one of the things I wanted to do was stand beside them Mm -hmm. For a couple of reasons, from a body language perspective, as you know, Sarah, the eye contact changes. It's so much easier to be vulnerable if some, you know, someone's right there in your corner, they're standing beside you, but the emotions can flow without having to be shamed that you're crying or, you know, whatever is happening. So I love that perspective. And also from a body language perspective, it gives me the person who has chosen to stand by someone, it's almost as if you can see their new perspective. Mm-hmm. It's not the same perspective. It's not in that teacher mode or that parental mode of making eye contact. And one of the things that came to my mind was about gesturing. If you're gesturing, you're gesturing into their future mm-hmm. because you're not gesturing, quote unquote, at oh, them. beautiful. So whenever I gesture forward with someone and I'm wanting to talk about the future or the permanent, you know, the time right now, the gesture is going to go, you know, in front of both of us. We'll get through this together. And your arm would go out into the future. Mm -hmm. I think, oh, I just love that idea. I mean, I knew to do that in a lot of my coaching. But this kind of times where people are very vulnerable in our love circle you know our little relationship circles to stand by them what an awesome insight thank you for sharing that i'll actually ask consent because in person i ask consent too you know if i'm working in person and now on zoom i'll say is it okay with you if i imagine standing beside you is it okay with you if i imagine having my hand on your shoulder sometimes they'll say no no don't don't touch me but you can stand beside me (laughs) 
people get to have consent right about whether they're so you know how close somebody is and yeah and then well we need to take one more quick commercial break, but you've stepped on something here that I want to talk about, and that's permission and consent, mm. because I've given a few talks recently on coaching and permission, and the idea that, that some coaches have that permission is perpetual. Yeah. So I think that's true in our private relationships, too, that we're not always aware that permission's not perpetual. So we'll be right back, because I want to get Sarah's insights on this. Sorry, it's a rabbit hole, guys, but we're running down it in just a couple minutes. Life Interrupted Radio will return after these messages from our sponsors. It's great sponsors like these that keep this show coming to you every week. Be sure and stop by lifeinterruptedradio.com to learn more. Hi, this is Sharon, and of course you know me from here on the Autoimmune Hour. Maybe you don't know I'm also an author. My latest book is for kids. It's Pinky Chenille and the Rainbow Hunters, a winner of a five-star reader's favorite review. It's perfect for your early reader and a great bedtime story for your young adventurers. Check it out over at PinkyChenille.com. That's P-I-N-K-Y-C-H-E-N-I-L-L-E.com. See you there. Do you want to be a better leader? Have better relationships? Become more self-aware? Be a better communicator? Hi, I'm Sharon Saylor, best-selling author, professional speaker, and executive coach. And my life passion is empowering professionals to be the best that they can be. After years of working with professionals, I've discovered the seven things nobody is telling you that can cost you your clients, sales, and even your career. And I want to give it to you free. You've heard my show. You know my passion. And maybe we'll be working together sooner rather than later. So go grab this ebook now to find out the seven things that's costing you big time over at SharonSailor.com forward slash radio gift. Welcome back, everyone, to the Autoimmune Hour. I'm Sharon Saylor from SharonSailor.com. And tonight we're here with the amazing, awesome Sarah Payton. I am just hanging on every word. And before we had to take that quick commercial break, I had a rabbit hole that I really want to run down because I've been exploring this idea of understanding permission, understanding consent. And oftentimes that people assume that it's perpetual, that once I give permission, that it stays that way. And I love this idea that even via Zoom, Sarah, that you're asking people permission, you're asking for their consent to visualize or metaphorically or energetically stand beside them or touch them. I think that's so wonderful. A quick story that is just a tangential to this that shows how powerful even video conferencing is. I was in the gallery. I was not the presenter. And it was interesting, pretty good sized gallery. And I had gallery view on and somebody coughed. And I say about three quarters of the audience, people in the gallery, went back in their chair as if to avoid the cough. Now, we all know logically that you can't catch COVID via Zoom, but it was fascinating to me the response that the unconscious response that happened. And that's where I love this idea of asking for consent and permission, even via video conferencing. Mm-hmm. And there's, I think, something that happens 
when we make, you said it's not perpetual, when we make consent explicit, then people get a chance to let their bodies relax in a different way. Like we're, when we, whenever we ask consent, we're acknowledging that the other person exists. And there's, <laughs> there's such a sweetness to having our existence acknowledged and respected. And that they have agency. I yeah. mean, I think to me that's that's really nice, even in a long-term relationship or something, to check in that way. I think it's really nice. Yeah. I've been married to my husband for 20 years, more than 20 years. And um, and and still, I mean, sometimes he just really likes to be touched. But sometimes I like to say, is it okay if I touch you? And, and to hear his yes, I think, is quite a lovely invitation to just like an acknowledgement of mattering for each other. Mm, I love that. One thing that comes to my mind that if you want to try this tip, which I just love it, is I might introduce the idea that I listen to this amazing woman on a podcast first. <laughs> <laughs> because I'm thinking if I just went up to my partner and said, is it okay if I touch you, they might look at me and wonder if I have a fever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, these changes are important to make explicit too. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Where did where did you learn this? Or where did you get this tip or technique? Yeah. It, do you and having that curiosity? Do you like it if I ask you? Or do you not like it? Exactly. Yeah, Because yeah. <laughs> sometimes people just want that hominess of like, oh, we just get to touch each other and just fall into the connection without having to worry at all. Right. Because I'm not thinking I would ask them <laughs> every time. No, <laughs> struck, you know? <laughs> I think that might be a bit much, but I do love this idea of, of permission, especially when we're talking about these types of things, these yeah. types of deep emotional experiences that people are going through. And also right now, I think a lot of people are just on heightened alertness. And when my partner is angry or grumpy, it seems even more important, you know, to say, is it okay? Would you like it? And then we're in an allyship relationship instead of some idea that I'm trying to manage him or control him. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. Oh, hi. So many things running through my head all at once. I always get so many questions when Sarah's on the show. One of the other things that I wanted to chat about was, are there ways that we can con begin to prepare ourselves? Because one of my concerns is, is this our new normal? And how long was it take to decompress? And not that we have to go back to the old way, but not to having this sort of collective fear and everything, are there things that we can do to lay the groundwork for coming out in, in a, like a butterfly? That just popped into my mind. <laughs> you know how chrysalis kind of butterflies turn to soup in there and, <laughs> and then they pop out. Is there some, is, we're, if we're in this chrysalis stage, what can we be doing to prepare ourselves so we're not prolonging all of this as we get to a place where it's okay? Well, this, I think, allows me to bring in this new piece of learning about resiliency that I promised you in the beginning. I just discovered some research that shows that um, individuals who are resilient 
are individuals who are more changed by the circumstances of their life. Wow. So, yes. So we can put up key marks for your traumatic childhoods? <laughs> I think we can. I think so. And also for uh, the 8% of any uh, living population on the earth that is highly sensitive. You and I, I think I've mentioned this before, that we even see 8% of the fish species populations. So if you take wow. uh, zebra-striped fish, there's 8% of those little guys that are highly sensitive. So there's, wow. <laughs> so there's not just sensitivity that comes from trauma, there's sensitivity that comes from a natural gift that we are born with to feel things more fully. And what we see is that more of the brain lights up in response to experience with sensitivity. So if we are, we are a highly sensitive person and we see the color pink, there's more brain neurons that are lighting up in response to that color, which speaks, you know, to the way in which we can have sensitivity to sound and to bright lights and to lots of people to acknowledge, oh, probably there's more of my brain lighting up in response to this intense experience than somebody who's not highly sensitive. I'm interesting. I did not know it was 8%, which is a larger percentage than I would have guessed if it had been a game show. Yeah. <laughs> so much larger. And that other species that have a similar response yeah. rate is amazing to me. And then I want to look at the other side of that. And so not to get frustrated with, I'll say, it's just my number, the 8% on the other side of the bell curve that <laughs> are not sensitive, shall I say. Because right. sometimes highly sensitive, I'll put my hand up, Yeah, can kind of go, what, you don't see that? You don't feel that? <laughs> what? Right. 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 And sometimes I think the folks who appear to be on the other end of the bell curve have had lives in which they've had to shut themselves down. They actually are highly sensitive, but the messages that they've received from the world are, you'd better not show it, you better shut it down. So is that their way of being resilient by sometimes people shut it down? Is that? Well, the research that I saw didn't take a look at that, but what the research that I saw showed was that the individuals who had more sensitivity to the stressful situations we're also going away and showing more brain change, even on an epigenetic level, in response to the stressful situation and coming out with better markers at the end of it. Wow. Yeah. One of the things I've been exploring lately is the idea of making meaning. And is that part of what we're talking about here, that people are able to see a gift or a silver lining or make meaning? Uh-huh. Yeah. And the way that I see making meaning is it goes even to a more profound level than seeing a silver lining. It's like once we hold ourselves with resonance in an experience, uh, let's just take being highly sensitive and hearing this information that it's completely normalized in all species on earth. It's great. Yeah. It really was relaxing to hear that. Yeah, exactly. So all of a sudden, we'll, our brain will go, oh, no wonder. If I'm highly sensitive, if I'm in this 8% and more of my brain is lighting up, no wonder I have a hard time 
in bright lights and wild yelling people. Of course I would have more of a hard time. And all of a sudden, all kinds of shame would fall away. And all of a sudden we would be going, I make sense to myself, which of course is our wonderful, a wonderful thing that happens in the human brain. It's like a moment of insight. And what we know about moments of insight is that the gamma waves go through the whole brain and reorganize the way that the neurons are connecting to each other. On a, in a universal way, it can change so much. Those moments where we go, oh, no wonder. I make sense. Of course. Mm, yes. And like a creation of solid ground beneath our feet. Oh, absolutely. And I find that those moments grow. Once I have the first insight, it could be very quickly or it could be down the road where I'm like, oh, okay. At a deeper level, all of a sudden things make more sense. Yeah. Gosh, when I went through that experience, I learned to do X, Y, Z. And right now I needed to know what, how to do it like right now. Yes. And I wasn't all that thankful back then, but boy, now that I think about it, I had time to learn how to do something and now I need it right now. Yeah. That happened to me a lot. So I find that being able to reach back into gratitude about some things is also helpful. Yes. And we've seen this phenomenon before I got this research about resilience that I'm quoting right now. We were looking at this with the research about earned secure attachment that our healing from our traumatic experiences that puts us into a good space, that's a more resilient space to stress than just coming out of a perfect childhood. We're more resilient as healed people than we would have been if we had that perfect childhood that we all so often wish that we had had. Whatever that <laughs> definition is. <laughs> I've talked to some childhood friends recently, I don't know, with the pandemic or whatever, just decided to have some video reunion types of things. And my remembrance of their childhood is very different from their memory of their childhood and my childhood. It's fascinating yeah. to, to me how that happens. What families seem like from the outside. Oh, yeah, my gosh. Just a quick little story. And then I want to do final tips because we're Sarah and I get together and time flies. One of the things I wanted to chat about a little bit was the resilience in autoimmune. So I'm going towards my eighth year of optimization and, and well-being and wellness. And what I found is when the masks and the gloves and all of that came out, people were freaking out. And not that I was happy about it by any means but I was somehow familiar with it. And I would say to my friends rather snarkily, well, welcome to my world <laughs> of having to be aware of, are you coughing? I don't want to get too close. I'll wear a mask, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. In an odd way, I think the seven year journey of wellness in a lot of ways, I'm a little bit more resilient than some of my close friends about the pandemic. I'm not happy about it or anything like that, but I just feel like maybe I'm a little bit more resilient about it. So that was a really you, odd making meaning out of the whole diagnosis. Yes. And you've already, you know, you have been changed by health challenges. And that becomes, it's like our sensitivity becomes our superpower for resilience. Mm, wow. 
I love that. Our sensitivity is our superpower. I love that. So now we're down to just four minutes, believe it or not, Sarah. What final tips can you share? And then let us all know how to get a hold of you and where we can find your current book and juicy tidbits on the new book. Oh, thank you. And the third book. Uh, I'll just say a few words about that. But Norton, my publisher, in uh, November, they said, we need to have a book of affirmations. We need a book of resonant affirmations to help everybody who's struggling. We need affirmations for turbulent times. Sarah, will you write us? And they said, we'd like it to be turned in by December 31st. And I was like, okay. (laughs) We all knew you could do it and you did it. (laughs) So that's coming, folks. It's coming in August or September from the Norton Catalog. Remember that warmth, that self-warmth. If you start working with self-warmth, it'll change your whole experience of being in this body whatever you're up against it'll change everything and it takes time remember it takes time and it's a matter of one to three breaths a day of warmth for yourself you don't have to do a lot may not be doable to do a lot but one might be doable we're just even imagining a world where it would be possible to do one because we come out of traumatic childhoods and Uh, We come out of traumatic adulthoods and receiving an autoimmune diagnosis is a trauma moment. Yeah, and it impacts our brains. And so we need to have exquisite and beautiful warmth for ourselves as we go through. And everything we can learn and integrate and start to do helps change and nourish these this permaculture garden of neurons that we're growing in the right hemisphere that holds us so much warmth and care. Mm. So if you're getting really excited about this, I've actually created a, a, a conference this year that's coming up. And all of this stuff can be found on my website, which is now, instead of empathybrain.com, it's sarahpayton.com. Oh, bravo, Sarah. (laughs) SarahPayton.com. Love it. Easy to remember. (laughs) And there are free downloads of meditations on the website. And there there will be more meditations with the workbook that's coming out on May 25th. And that's available now as pre-order from your online bookseller. And then in the fall, you can look for the affirmations for turbulent times too. Wow, that's fantastic. Everyone, that's Sarah Payton. Go over to understandingautoimmune.com if you need to have the exact spelling of that. It's just like (laughs) it sounds. Her first name ends in an H, so it's Sarah Payton. And her work is called Your Resonant Self. And looking forward to the Your Resonant Self workbook as well. And sarahpayton.com. Check her out. She's got lots of other great information for us. As I said, she's our most requested return guest. And thank you so much for brightening our beginning of 2021 with all your wisdom, Sarah. Deeply appreciated. For me to start out 2021 with you, Sharon. I love you and love your work. Oh, thank you. And I love you so much too, my dear. Everyone, the amazing Sarah Payton, check her out and also go over to understandingautomute.com. Check out all her other interviews she's done with this, as well as all the other amazing guests. We're over 310 episodes now. (laughs) Just amazing to me. So plenty for you to spend your time and find out more about your wellness and well-being and optimizing yourself for 2021 and beyond. Have a great week. Whatever your adventures, join me next week. Enjoy. 
The information provided on the Autoimmune Hour, Understanding Autoimmune, and Life Interrupted Radio, including the websites understandingautoimmune.com and lifeinterruptedradio.com, plus social media, is for educational purposes only. What you read, hear, and see on the Autoimmune Hour, Understanding Autoimmune, and Life Interrupted Radio, and its websites, and other media outlets is based on experience only. The information should never be used for any legal, diagnostic, or treatment purposes. Always seek sound legal, medical, and or professional advice regarding any problems, conditions, and any of the recommendations you see, hear, or read here on the Autoimmune Hour, Understanding Autoimmune, and Life Interrupted Radio. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.